Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining Revolutionary Sisters of the Diaspora this evening. We are black and brown sisters coming together to discuss topical issues of race, social and economic justice, gender equality, and everything in between. I am Ange, and I am joined today by my other lovely co-host, Trina, and Sabrina. We are all in one place, which is not always uh, (laughs) how this happens, but we just happen to all be in one place today. And we are so excited and so pleased to have Dr. Ifetayo Ojalade, who is a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, join us. Uh, so, Dr. Ife, would you just say hi? Hi, everyone. It's amazing um, that you invited me to be part of this, so thank you. Oh, thank you so much. So, as I uh, just said, uh, Dr. Ife, as she likes to be called, um, is a licensed psychologist with an interest in assisting people to heal in order to take their careers and personal lives to the next level. She is an expert on trauma recovery. She works with healthcare, legal, and safety professionals to manage secondary trauma uh, in the workplace. And she has a particular interest in women leaders of color in these high stress roles. She is the founder and executive director of A Healing Paradigm, LLC. It's a holistic wellness center providing counseling, psychological testing, wellness, and educational programming for the entire family. She is the past president of the Metro Atlanta Association of Black Psychologists and is listed in the Who's Who in Black Atlanta. In addition, she serves as a resident psychologist for the Derek Bozeman Show in the Atlanta market and is affectionately known as Dr. Ife. So today, uh, I'm like I said, we're very, very pleased that you were able to join us today for this discussion. Our uh, topic today is Free Your Mind, Coping with Challenges, and Connecting to Self. And we have a couple of different uh, issue areas that we want to try to discuss today. One of them is because based on the theme that we are, um, that, that the show is about today, we want you to just talk a little bit about um, just coping with with life challenges and how we, as uh, women of color, can just work through some of these challenges to connect to ourselves. Uh, And before uh, I open it up to you, Dr. Ife, I want to just say that I met you uh, through another friend of ours who, uh, she's known you, I guess, for several years, and you had done done a rewrite of a book that you had previously done. dealing with trauma, and the book was focused on people who are returning home from jails and prisons and the trauma that they experienced not only inside the prison but actually coming home as well and dealing with the life challenges that they had to deal with. So if you would talk a little bit about uh, the book, 
and then as well talk a little bit about black and brown women just in terms of the challenges that we face just because we're black women in America uh, as, as, and, and trying to relate to others and connecting to ourselves. Sure. Uh, I, one of the first things that I would just say is that when I wrote the book, Sacred Healing Journey, I was really focused on specifically um, looking at indigenous African healing practices because I recognized that as a uh, psychologist that was trained kind of in this Western model that it wasn't really working for black and brown women um, as a holistic way to heal. And so one of the things that I was interested in is looking at, like, what, are people, what have people historically done to focus on their healing? And one is being in communities. Two is um, looking at very specific rituals or activities, whether it be personal uh, rituals. Um, so it could be something like making sure that you take time for yourself, making sure that you bathe and certain baths may have certain herbs in them. Um, it could be doing things like meditation or breath work or yoga. I realized that all of those things were really important. And for black and brown women, that we weren't necessarily paying attention to those things, that those things seemed like they were luxuries. And so it was really important for me to point out, like, no, that these things have to be primary, particularly for us and our survival. No, that's very, I mean, that is very important. Uh, Trina actually uh, has done, well, she's now in her second book. But the first book that she did was uh, more of a workbook that you really just pulled some of those um, issue areas out and just forced you to kind of look at where you are in life. And I think the, the idea of, you saying meditation and other other mechanisms to ensure that we are taking care of ourselves is, is really important. So I, I can definitely relate and appreciate that, especially on certain days when you're just overwhelmed and, and you forget, oh, breathe. Right. You know, because we are, we are often running like crazy and we forget, breathe. Even though we know we're breathing because we're living, but I think – that whole idea, and I would like you to talk a little bit more about just breathing techniques and things like that, if you would, uh, and, and just breathing, because it's more than just we're sitting here, we're breathing because we're human. It's really taking a really concerted look and concerted effort to breathe and breathe pop properly. Well, I, uh, this is Sabrina, and I think, uh, you know, I'm That's the Sabrina. CPA in the group, so I'm always high. I'm always interested in when people start talking about, you know, you mentioned the word luxury, and I thought that was really interesting that you said that some of the traditional ways that people heal are not working for our community, and that maybe, I'm, maybe I'm paraphrasing this, but that a lot of the things like meditation, yoga, all these things that we consider them luxuries, and it's really interesting mm -hmm. that, you know, these are two of the things that they're so easy to do on your own but I guess it does have that kind of, uh, you know, upper-class stigma that we're sort of like, oh, this stuff doesn't work, or meditation isn't for me, or I can't get my brain to quiet down. But, you know, I, I meditate, so does Trina. We, we, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I do yoga, but Trina really does. I do a, yoga. I got a yoga man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I found it the other day. Uh, I got to unroll it. But uh, but it's it's true. I mean, I think these things are really things that people have a stigma about it, but they don't really get how beneficial it is. I wish we could, you know, get people to understand that this isn't some, uh, you know, 
a crazy thing that only people that drink lattes and, you know, that are skinny minis do, you know. Me and Trina do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah well, I, I think, one of the things I think about what you say, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. Ife, would you say there's also a socioeconomic piece to it as well? You know, so we're in a you know a certain income bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, but but right. do you think that there is also a, a way in which um, women who or people who have limited income that this is just doesn't make the cut for them? Well, I I think that it, it part of it um, is economic. Part of it is I agree um, with the idea of it, there being a stigma. But I think a larger part of it is that we have to think about it historically. Our people had very specific ways of healing or taking care of themselves. Our people have historically walked. We've worked in yards. I mean, just think about the work that we've historically done. We've um, worked. Mm-hmm. We've gardened. We walk. Um, I mean, you think of Big Mama. Um, having this idea of, like, don't go to the doctor, we're going to use herbs to heal ourselves. There are these things that have been in our community that have been beaten out of us in a lot of ways. And so mm-hmm. I'm not careful at putting the blame on us because there has been a systematic attack on us really being able to connect with the things that heal us. And that actually connects to what Ooh. Angelina was saying about breath. The whole idea, I mean, mm-hmm. we, everybody walks around and we breathe, and we never think about breath. But when we seriously sit down and think about it, if you are able to be breathe, uh, breathe deeply, what you are doing is you are connecting to God. Mm-hmm. You are connecting to source energy. When you are connected to source energy, you literally can do anything. And so part of the training for us has to be disconnect, disconnect, disconnect. And when you think about the bodies of black and brown women, our bodies have been up for auction in all kinds of ways to other people. So there's a sense of, uh, this historic sense of passing down a disconnect from one's body. And if you're disconnected from your body, you're going to be disconnected from your breath. Mm. True. Very, very true. I mean, and breathing can go in so many different directions. I've had, um, I've, over the years, since 1996, I took my uh, first meditation class. So I've um, done meditation over the years. There was a long period of time for about 10 years that I played with yoga. I'm more serious with yoga now. And (laughs) all the focus on yoga is really with the breath. And then more recently, I've done breath work. I don't know if you all have heard of that, um, but it's amazing. And it was one of the most um, transformational experiences that I've ever had. And most people, when they hear the term breath work, they're thinking simply, like, you're going to sit down and just, you know, learn how to breathe. It has not, I mean, there's breathing in it, but it has really nothing to do with that. It's about you being able to connect more with your authentic self and connecting with spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I mean, I have had some, you know, a bit some self-help books. This is Sabrina again. Some <laughs> self-help books that start off the day with a breathing exercise, but I've never heard it actually articulated quite like that. So that's really, that's really very interesting. Okay, okay. So is that is that one, Dr. Ife Evangeline? Is that one of the uh, techniques that you use at your um, 
at your studio in terms of, you know, bringing people in and having workshops on just techniques, and I'm, I'm sure you do it and maybe some other people do it, but is that, is that, is that like something that people are actually really focused on and doing now in order to try to cope with just day-to-day existence in this, in this world that we're in? Absolutely. So at A Healing Paradigm, we do breathwork workshops four times a year. We started a year and a half ago and started out with just actually mainly my staff, and then we started inviting other people. And the very first time that I did breathwork, I went to New York. The facilitator, I don't facilitate it because I don't have the training to facilitate it, but the facilitator is Dr. Ma Lewis in New York, and she flies down. And I remember her asking me the first time, and I was like, okay, we're going to breathe for eight hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's not breathing for eight hours, but it is really this amazing process that, like, once you do it, like, we have to literally, like, tell people at the end of the day, okay, you have to leave now. Like, we're done with the workshop. Uh, and in that process, I mean, in this, and so I keep talking about this, even if it sounds crazy, in that process, I've been able to, find some of my ancestors that I didn't um, know existed. I actually went back on one side of my family, and this is pretty amazing for African Americans. I went back to the 1300s on one side of my family just in the process of breathing. Yes. Okay, everybody in this room over here, our eyes just went wide. We're like, what? I like this. This is Sabrina. I'm liking this. Especially since I just did my ancestry and they pulled up all the stuff that I am. So I'm I'm really curious as to as to how you went about doing that. <laughs> well, and this because we don't know because, where we came from. Uh, <laughs> we're just we're from like all over the damn place. Where we come from? And you were able to find ancestors from the 1300s. Okay. By yeah, yeah. We need to we need to know a little bit more about that. Okay. Yeah. Continue, doctor. <laughs> so, one of the things that happened, and my, um, the facilitator always laughs because I'm a skeptic of everything, and so believe it or not, even though I talk about alternative stuff, I like it to be very concrete and me to be able to read some research or something about it. And so as I was doing this, I was your very bio. We know you're legit. Probably the third or fourth time that I did breath work, I woke up, and I was on the Trail of Tears, and I saw these Native Americans, and they were walking by, and I was very clear that they were my ancestors, and one of the things that I would not reveal to people was that I found out, like, six years prior, that my maternal grandmother, who I knew growing up but never said this to me, was half Cherokee. And so in the process of breath work and breathing, my ancestors came and said, okay, lady, it's real cute that you do all this African stuff, but we're your ancestors too, and you can't pretend like we don't exist. And they were adamant about that. Yeah. And from that, starting the very next day, I am not kidding, the very next day, I had already always been into genealogy, but I had found some stuck points. The very next day, I just started finding ancestors. I literally found people that folks did not know existed, that my grandmother, I found my grandmother's father who she she died not knowing what happened to him. And I found out, I saw the mystery of that. Say it one more time. When you say, 
found them, what do you mean you found them? You found the records after you had the briefing? Yes, yeah, so I found, I mean, he was, he's deceased, yes. Um, but I found the records. My, grand, my, my paternal grandmother grew up not knowing her father very well because her parents had a divorce when she was very young. And the family lore was that he was white and her mother was black and her, his fam, her family didn't like him. And so she never knew what happened to him. So she would tell me stories as a little girl, like I never saw my father again. And that very next day of breath work, I woke up Sunday morning and I had been looking for him for years. And I put his name in the search engine and I found the marriage certificate between my great grandparents. Oh, okay. Okay, So so he didn't give you more clues to go and find the records. Exactly. And so as I kept going, I was able to. Yeah. So I was able to uh, just through records um, that where I had been stuck before looking at these records, the, the breath work and just being able to be more connected with myself, which connected me with spirit, which connected me with my ancestors, pointed me in the right directions to be able to find them. Right. So, Doctor Doctor Ife, this is Angeline. So I wanna I, mm-hmm. I, I I'm I'm like flabbergasted and speechless. I'm <laughs> like okay. So I wanna I wanna dig a little deeper in terms of of the breathing because we're I mean the show is not about breathing, mm-hmm. but now that we've started down this path, we're we're just going to keep down this path to talk about in in terms of have you experienced or do you know of people who have experienced the breathing techniques and how they deal with trauma that's happened to them in their life or maybe trauma that maybe has happened to an ancestor, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, preferably someone that, you know, you know, maybe the trauma that they've experienced and how they're they're able to deal and cope with maybe, maybe they were traumatized by someone and um, and then they were able to experience what that person went through because I really do believe that people who hurt people are hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. how has, has that experience has that experience happened for you or anyone that you know? Yes. So it's happened in a couple of different ways. I'll kind of tell generic um, stories of so not revealing stuff. Yes. For yeah. For, um, yeah. So for myself. It came up in historic senses, and I was actually in the room where this happened to several people, where one time I felt like I was on a slave ship. Um, I heard the water below, but I didn't see anything. And then I mm-hmm. seen villages burned. Um, one time I saw, I saw people, I'm assuming they were my ancestors, but I'm not as clear, were being captured, and um, one of my ancestors who I descended from was uh, being raped. And uh, she, so this is a funny but not story. So part of what I saw was that her, as her rapist was coming behind her, she took a knife and stabbed him. Um, And at the same time, I was having that experience. Other people in the room were having similar experiences where they were seeing similar images. Um, so one of the things that happens with breath work is that it can be very touchy because you're not, you can't control where people go. And when it's a group of people of color, and particularly people of African ancestry, the likelihood that enslavement is going to come up is very high. So right. uh, people being able to process that in a safe space is important. 
So I've seen it happen in a historical sense like that. I've seen more contemporary things where people have had experiences where, and this is where it can get kind of touchy and you have to have somebody that's trained. Uh, our facilitator is a licensed psychologist because I've witnessed someone remembering incest that happened to her that she had no memory of before. Wow. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, as the director of the facility, I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to say that we're kind of pulling up false memories of people. So I'm always like being protective and around that kind of stuff. Uh, And so she, that came up for her and she had to process that experience, a process meaning, you know, talk about it there, but then she's got ongoing therapy support to be able to look at that and look at her family dynamic as a result of that. Um, Because you remember everything after the session, right? You're remembering, I mean, you do the breath work, and then the stuff comes up, and it's not like, you know, you wake up and you don't remember anything. You remember all of it, right? You don't remember necessarily all of it. Sometimes it depends on the session. Um, like uh, right. my you, very the. Go ahead. What were you saying? You remember you, so enough. There, what you're seeing, remember. You can remember a lot of it, and some pieces may just fade away, and they may come back another time. And so like it can be. A, it's a combination. It's like a dream state, but um, it will feel more, right. very much more real and concrete. And so, mm-hmm. and you'll know what part is real and what part is it, because the process sure. afterwards is uh, a process of what they call integration. So you figure out what's the meaning, whether it's a symbolic meaning or it's a legitimate, uh-huh. like a real meaning for you. And that's the that's where the healing process comes. Sometimes. Like the very first time that I did breath work, it was really about me being able to release some stuff. And so I felt lighter afterwards. Um, like so much so oh my staff was coming in and looking at me and they're like, okay, what's going on with you? What did you do? Wow. And well, there, this, this there has been times where it's heavy. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so so I'll be in Atlanta next week, and I'm just wondering. Um, <laughs> I'll be a little I'll be a little busy, but maybe afterwards we can do some breath work. I mean, I don't think I could do an eight hour breath work, but uh, maybe you know thirty thirty minutes or so oh, here and there. Yeah, that that sounds very deep and very very scary, but um, I think it's it could be kind of cathartic too, yeah. right? That yeah, you know that if you need to know, it's you very need to get something out. You know that, yeah. And and if you're saying, you know, you're, you're the breath work and what you're doing is you're experiencing God in a, in a in a way that that that's deep. That is deep. So I like I said, I didn't want us to necessarily. I didn't realize we were gonna go down this path, but that's okay. I think it's it's very important. And we you know we're just well, you go to Atlanta for one. Or she went to New York, right? Or you know, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that at the end. But what I, I want I wanted to move us to um, one of the other questions that I had was in terms of the book that you, okay. written, you had written and how and how the trauma aspect came up for people formerly incarcerated, you know, and the trauma um, that they experienced inside and then subsequently outside, and and you know any tips that you had or, or suggestions in terms of folks who have been through that tri- type of traumatic event, because as we know, being incarcerated is not a normal state, 
right? And so how do, you know, have you worked with folks who have um, been incarcerated and, you know, any techniques or things that you've used or things that you've seen come up or different themes that you've seen come up for folks? Sure. Part of the thing, and I think what hit me when I first started writing that version of the book was to be able to understand that it is not normal to lock human beings in cages. And Mm -hmm. when we incarcerate people, that is what we are doing. We are locking human beings in cages. And if you put people in cages for 10, 20 years or for the rest of their lives, then they are going to be traumatized, and the entire um, community, their families are going to be traumatized by that experience also. And so for me, it's not a question of whether or not someone is traumatized by being incarcerated. It is how much they have been traumatized and how much the family has been traumatized by the experience. And so I think coming out, I would want people to definitely recognize that you probably need to talk to somebody. Sometimes people are like, okay, I'm good. And I'm always saying, like, and particularly for our people, you need to go and talk to somebody about that experience and be really clear of separating the things that happen to you from the experience of being you. Because sometimes we take on identities of being like trauma victims as opposed to recognizing we survived a traumatic event. Those are two separate kind of experiences. And Can you repeat so that? A lot. Yes. Yeah. So I was saying sometimes we take on the identity of being a tra- trauma victim, which is separate from having survived a traumatic event. So those right. two totally separate things. And so I never talk about people being victims. Um, I do talk about, like, okay, so you've had this traumatic event and you survived or and or or thrived past that experience. Mm -hmm. And that is important for you to be able to recognize. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing I would say is, like. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I think the first thing is um, identity, is being clear about language. Like, I love the fact that when I was working on the project, I picked up the language of returning citizens as opposed to all the other kind of negative, really pejorative terms that we use for people that have been formerly incarcerated. Like, recognize that people are returning citizens. They are coming back to our community, and we need to be able to embrace people in ways that are healthy. And for me, that certainly means in terms of family, like making sure that people have family support and that the structure is there for the family to be able to support them in a healthy way. Yeah, I I love how you said, um, I love how you said survive and thrive, because I think, I think that's a really important um, thing to really understand in terms of dealing with traumatic events is to that you've survived it, you are here, but how do you move past just the survival stage, I guess, and, and, and thrive and, and be the best that you can be and, um, you know, and not, and not have that totally define your entire life and existence moving forward. And I think the thrive piece really picks up on that, that you're, you've survived it and now you're thriving moving forward and and just becoming your best self and not, you know, you you were the victim you and, and not blaming yourself. It's just this happened to you. You have survived it. 
and now let's and and moving on I, I think is a is huge and talking to someone yeah we tend to not want to um, address some of our issues and talk to people um, that are licensed to help us deal with a lot of this trauma or a lot of issues and maybe not even trauma just issues in general just day to day stuff I I've spoken to a lot of women that just talk to a counselor for day to day stuff you know that we deal with as just being a black woman in America, you know, that you're, you're dealing with. And did that happen because I'm a black woman? Did it happen because I'm a woman? Wait, wait, you know, there's all this stuff that, that, we, that we get every day that we're trying to decipher and figure out, is that racist? Was that sexist? Who, who does that? You know, that kind of <laughs> So I think um, having someone really to talk to, I think, is, is, is really, really important. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I believe that we have a couple of callers on the line. If you are interested in asking a question or making a comment, please dial one, and we will uh, we will recognize you and uh, pull you on the line. You can ask a question. Um, there is a you can dial the number at three four seven eight five seven two eight seven eight again three four seven eight five seven two eight seven eight. If you're listening online and you'd like to dial in. So um, I believe we're going to turn it over to uh, Sabrina. She's going to ask you a few questions, uh, and then we'll go from there. And again, if you do want to ask a question, just press 1. Hi, doctor. Hi, how are you? Uh, so my questions are twofold. They're kind of related to what you were just talking about, and you said earlier that um, being in prison is not normal, or being put in a cage is not normal. So what do you think is going to be the fallout from the recent immigration situation we had where we actually put children in cages for a while and now we have to deal with the trauma that they've gone through? And, I, you know, these children that they have not been matched up with their parents, they're still here. You know, I mean, I think we're growing a crop of kids that are probably going to be right up there with, uh, you know, Guantanamo in a minute. You know, they're going to be ready because you're just like, oh, my God. So what do you think is going to be the fallout for the mental health, U.S. Public Health Department and their responsibility to helping these kids that were caged for still and, and maybe even, you know, maybe a release or still in there? Yeah. I was listening to NPR earlier this week, and I, one of the stories was about a, a dad that had been deported back to Guatemala and he was talking to his son on the phone, and he was saying how he couldn't even understand sometimes what his son was saying because his son was crying so much. Mm. I mean, I think anybody, I don't think you need a psychologist to say that, that that's a traumatizing experience for children to be put in cages, for them to be separated from their parents, but then for the children to, the, to have their parents deported back to their home country and they're still here, all right. of that is going to be... It has a huge um, mental health consequences. Like so, essentially, those choices have altered those children, those families' lives forever. It doesn't mean that the outcome always has to be negative. If there's good supports that are in place, and and those supports don't always have to look like um, Western mental health. Um, that's nice that they have access to that, but there are, again, other things that people do in community to be able to take care of themselves when to be able to recover from a traumatic experience. And so I'm hoping that those children end up having access to services. 
at the same time, so part of that question, Sabrina, was around, like, what's going to be fallout, the fallout for the mental health system here. I seriously doubt that many folks in the mental health system, or at least in this government right now that is controlling the United States, that they will even care. There won't be resources that are put into that. I mean, if you think about it, someone that can use the Bible to justify snatching children from their parents and not even care whether or not you can put those um, children and parents back together, those are the same people that descend from the folks that can show up on the slave on um, the African coast and decide, hey, I think we're going to snatch these people and bring them to the United States and work. Those are the same people that can show up to somebody's land and say, okay, that's nice that you live here, but we're going to snatch your land and rape your women and right. kill your children. Right. Those are the descendants of the same people. Right. And I heard so that you can't be surprised. That you said you heard what? Well, I heard that the U.S. Public Health Department so far has a $500,000 grant to help the mental health, you know, situation of the children that are in, in, in these uh, cages. But I don't see how that's going to – that's a drop in the bucket. I don't even know what – you know, it's just so ridiculous. It's just – I just seem like it just sounds like it's just going to be a lot. If they don't reconnect these children with their parents and these children stay here in the United States in whatever capacity, either in foster care or whatever, you know, whatever state has them is going to have to pay a lot of money to help these children get over this trauma. Right. And the way that our system works now, there's a lot of talk around um, trauma recovery, evidence-based um, trauma recovery. There, there's all this great, wonderful talk about it. But what I see is in terms of models that they have a lot of research foundation in terms of Western Research Foundation um, to say that this thing works. But then when you look at stuff long-term in communities, those things aren't built based upon the needs of the community, and so ultimately they're not the things that are going to help those communities heal. They will help people get grants and, um, and tenure and universities, but they're not the things that are needed in those communities. When you talk about $500,000, I've worked with a That's budget nothing. of $500,000. It's nothing. It's completely nothing. That's yeah. a joke. That's what I have yeah. another right thought. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost, I mean, it sounds, I hate to say it, but okay, I'll say it again. I'm the conspiracy theorist, too. But, you know, it's almost like it's a, it's a plan to put these kids into the, into the system so that people that are going to house them are going to make money. I mean, there were stories about how certain towns that are housing these kids have, have got all kinds of jobs now because they've got to take care of these kids. Right. That's what I was going to say, that they actually are spending more money on the contractors mm-hmm. and, and for, the, for the mass the incarceration, mass, mass incarceration, incarceration of, of these children, children and their families, and they're talking about unifying them but still having them be, they're trying to use other words than our incarceration, but at the end of the day, it's still putting people yeah. in cages. That child can't get out of their house and yeah. go wherever And if the go, child so. is with the parent and they're in a cage, they're still in a cage. Right. right. Now, y'all just made me think about something. You know, it took me way off the deep end with that because I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> Children quickly. 
What is the reason that yeah. you want to keep those children here? Absolutely. I never even thought about that until was, you said that. There was no intention to match these children back up with their parents. They were There was no intention in my book. I mean, come on. They, no. do, they do better with my baggage at DCA than what they did with these kids. No, and, and, and just the dismissiveness, and this is where um, I get so incensed because it really is about the the whole idea of mattering. Mm-hmm. And so there are some people, there are lots of people in our current society for whom folks don't think they Amen. matter, period. It's not about, I remember, you know, there being this, oh, well, we'll just put them in foster care or something. Or, you know, just as very mm-hmm. dismissive because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's just like, um, remember, and I'm going a little bit off topic, but I think it connects, Barbara Bush yeah. after the hurricane. Yeah. And and when people were being sent, yeah. when people were being sent yeah. to um, Dallas yeah. to be in that in the in the big um, stadium, in the Superdome, and and she was like, oh well, but they're used to living that like, way. Wait. This, this, I is, remember this that. is good. Yeah. Better than what they had. Yeah. I was like, okay, babe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that well, and, and you and have that to Sorry, and that's the rea- that's reality the that they that they think that. You know, well, they they come from these shithole countries, shit countries. right? Shit and countries. so, since they're coming from these shithole countries, I mean, why would you, you know, this is probably doing really well for the kids because they have, you know, some place to sleep and they have this little um, silver blanket on them, and and just totally disregarding the fact that regardless of where these folks came from, you know they still want to be with their parents. You know, they still love their parents, and they still they need that comfort. And when you look at some of these kids that are like five and six years old, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And what the psychological damage that's happening to those kids now that they're going to have to live yeah. with for the rest of their, their yeah. lives. I mean, I'm, my husband watches, you know, the CNN and MSNBC a little bit more than I do. But um, he was just talking about how, you know, seeing these kids being re- the few that were, had been reunified that they've been able to capture on, on video and how the, the, the parents are really overjoyed that they have their kids and the kids are despondent, right? They are in shock. They don't even, they, they can't even comprehend what is going on, right? Because they're thinking, well, let me not get too comfortable because right. maybe they're going to take me away again. I'll get exactly. snatched back again. So I turn it back over to you, Dr. Eve. Okay. Sorry if that. We digress sometimes. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think it's important what you're saying because as you're talking, what I'm thinking is one of the things I think that's a function of white supremacy and hegemony is that we are, we're constantly talking about the impact on us without examining the person that's willing to do these things. Wow. Because the person Follow that's willing the to money. do these things. Always yes, the person. I mean, the, the somebody's making money off of these kids being here. Someone is making money, but then someone is also willing to dehumanize other human beings. And if yep. you are willing to dehumanize other uh, other human beings, you don't see them as worthy of respect, as worthy of being parented, as worthy of protection. Even if you can look at a five-year-old and you don't see them as human, that is the only way you can snatch a five-year-old from his parents or her parents when she's hanging on for dear life. 
And so if you are, if you don't see them as human, then what does that make you? Exactly. That means that you have to give up part of your humanity in order to dehumanize other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I want to kind of, kind of piggyback on that and shift to kind of we as women of color in this country. So we talk a lot on this show about this, um, and then certainly since since the show Love Is, and there's mm-hmm. been a lot of um, James Baldwin has been quoted a lot about to be woke, mm-hmm. his to be in a constant state of anger. Yes. Um, and so so let's talk about that piece of the trauma of of where we are right now in this country and some of the frustration that people are, are experiencing. And I think we go through the whole entire range. There are some folks who have already given up. There are some folks who are, you know, you know, um, it's just deepened um, a, a mistrust that was already there. And there are some folks who are still trying to hold on to some level of, but well, we can do something different. What, is, what has been your experience so far, Dr. Ife, in terms of how this is showing up in the lives of um, women of color and the communities of color in our country? since the 2016 election. Hmm. Right. I would say I think it's showing up in two different ways. There's a small group of people, and I think that they need to be talked about first, that are disciples of white supremacy. And so they're not not impacted by this. They're, you know, I, I see stuff post online all the time. And I'm like, okay, so you have to be completely out of your mind. And so, yes, I think part of it is the insanity here pushes people completely out of their mind, and they become disciples of white supremacy. And then on the other end, I think that there are folks, and I'm somewhere in here that watch it, and I can't even watch Angela. I can't watch MSNBC. um, uh, What is it? Is it MSNBC? That's the one that Uh makes me mad all the time. Yeah, because every time I watch it, then I get just more and more angry, and I can't spend that yep. much energy um, right. listening to all the craziness that's going on in this world. So I have to protect myself. And so one of the ways that I know that I have to protect myself is I can't consistently watch television. I can't take in that negativity because then I will end up vibrating emotionally and spiritually at this hey. very low level. low level. And then I think that there's, yeah. And then I think that there's this other group of folks that are taking on that energy, and some of them are getting angry and more depressed and sad, or you see this, like, level of volatility. And some people are are pushing forward. And at some level, they may have some balance of the anger, but then also never giving up. And I think that that's important. I talked to my aunt, and every time she talks about... The, the orange nut in the White House, she just gets, like, really riled up about him. And I reminded her, because my aunt is older than my father, and I asked her who was president when she was um, born, and she told me. And so we listed all of the presidents since she has been on this planet. And I was like, look, you survived all those people. You're going to survive this orange nut. It's very problematic, but you're going to survive. That's what James Baldwin said. He said, we've been here for 400 years, and we have survived this far. We will always survive. I yes. just saw a clip of you know, him saying this, and it was like, he said this in 1964. 
you know, when he was sitting there yeah. talking about being a black man in America, and he said, we have survived this much and all the horrors that we have survived, and we will survive this too. And we have to remember, I think we always have to remember that. For those folks who um, were, their ancestors were enslaved here, or whether you your ancestors were enslaved in the Caribbean, Central or South America, we have to remember that one day our ancestors were enslaved and they knew where their food and their shelter was coming from, and then one day that didn't exist anymore. And if we survive from people, if we are uh, descendants of people that can survive that, we can survive anything. Yeah, yeah we can survive this stuff. Yeah. But I think it's important now, if, what you said in terms of not um, taking it, we can survive it, but part of surviving it is not taking it in 24-7. And not being and, a victim, and, like you yeah, said. Yeah, and, and, and encouraging, you know, doing some other activity other than just watching it. Because, for one, we know we're not getting all the news, right? There's stuff that's happening oh, yeah. in the world, and there's stuff that's happening behind the scenes that this man is doing that we're not getting, well, we're getting that sensationalism news because, you know, that keeps people watching and, and that's what people want to hear. But there's a whole lot that's going on that we're not hearing about, right? And so I think it's partially the news gives us, you know, these little tidbits of information and, and the, the constant news of the same thing happening all the time. Um, and so I think for our own mental health, <laughs> it's necessary sometimes to step away from it, you know. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard because we know that every five minutes is breaking news. But it's also important to know what that's doing to our own psyche, getting all of that, all of that negativity. And, I mean, I agree. And for even me as a psychologist, I have to remind myself, I, on my phone, you know, I get the news feed, and I saw, like, the latest crazy today, and I walked up front to tell the people up front what was going on, and then I stopped myself, and I said, you know what, don't even let me go there. Just don't let don't me talk about it. him at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and I, I constantly just try to remind myself that I don't want to take that negativity in, and I also remind myself, this, this is kind of just a funny, just knowing human beings. I actually really get happy when I notice that he starts attacking other white males. Because one of the things that I know just as a psychologist, because of, you know, working in the workforce, is that he's pissing off so many white males that, like, really all the rest of us can sit back and be quiet <laughs> because they're going to take him out just on ego strength. So, yeah, that's true. Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, um, in coaching, one of the things we say is what you focus on expands. And so, as you know, so there is the not taking the negative in, but there is also being intentional about what you do with your waking hours. And so how, you know, how can you, you know, one of our coworkers, our um, our co-host Q is not with us tonight, but one of her things is get local. Yeah, you know, so she is really big into community service, feeding the homeless, various things like that. Um, us coming together to do this this show was a way for us to really be able to have 
positive things to to invest our time and our energy in. Same thing with your family. Same thing with having fun. You know, I was telling them I went to the amusement park with my kids the other day. I took the I took the day off. My son's about to go into his junior year of college. He's going to play on Monday. We rode roller coasters all day long. It was awesome. But, you know, sometimes we allow ourselves to get caught up in this cycle of urgency and um, and, and stay churned up and, and we forget to live. Yeah, very true. I agree. And I think that's part of why I was saying, like, I don't, consistently watch television. Actually, my friends laugh at me because I don't have a TV. Um, I have one in the basement, but it's like one of those old TVs. (laughs) The big back on it. Um, Because I just don't want to take any of that stuff in. I was smiling when you were saying the amusement park. I love the amusement park, and so that's like kind of one of the rituals for me and my daughters is that we'll go to the amusement park. I have my consistent ritual of yoga, and I agree with what was said earlier. You don't have to go someplace to do yoga. There's plenty of free videos online. I mean, you can just pull out your mat and dust it off and do it at home or just stretching or working in the garden. There are a lot of things that you can do to just take care of yourself emotionally because if you don't do that, one of the things, and I keep saying white supremacy, white supremacy, if you don't take care of yourself and you die early, then you're in the service of white supremacy. It, it's whether that means oh, you're not exercising, oh. you're eating too much sugar, you're not taking care of your mental health, then you are doing exactly what white supremacy wants you to do. It's taking your own self out. Oh, there goes the sugar. Mic drop, mic drop right there. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Here, take my cookie bed. <laughs> <laughs> As we could hear around you got coffee, you got coffee and cookies here. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> that is deep. That is that is deep. Die early that like they deep. want us to do. Yeah. One less yeah. to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Kill kill mm-hmm. each other in the street. Kill each other in the street. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. why they have another donut. Yeah, no, we don't need any gun control. Let's we don't need gun control. Oh, print them out. Them. Yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead and print them out. Yeah, print them out. 3D printing printin guns. Let's just let them shoot them, shoot them up, and okay, corral. We'll be we'll be okay. So um, <laughs> I want to bring us but back just a little bit. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's wild know, here sometimes, Doctor Ethan. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. Guns is one thing, but if you if you look in in black communities and brown communities, what you see is what unhealthy food. Um, right, fast food you restaurants, Chinese restaurants you and see all stores. kinds of, and liquor no. stores, and you see dialysis centers. Those oh, are things yeah. that are designed. Yes, those are things that's, that are designed yeah, to like French wipe out communities. That's deep. Yep. Food deserts. Yep. It's incredible. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So I want us to. Um, we only have a, a few and bad water. We only have a few more more minutes, and now that we were talking about health and things, you had a question, uh, Sabrina, well, about about the lead, because I'm always saying lead paint, lead paint and messed up a lot of, uh, said, you of know, another Another one, doctor, is that, you know, the, what's the fallout going to be for not just the children that have ingested all of this high-level lead water and their mental health, and I mean, it's almost like Flint has lost a generation of children. I mean, they're going to have all kinds of issues. And it's still not safe. 
Yeah, yeah, still not fixed. They just cut the water off. They just cut the free water off. Although they gave Nestle millions of gallons of water for three hundred dollars, but they cut the water off for the Flint people. I saw that story. So uh, yes, Nestle <laughs> come in and take the water. Yeah, you heard that one too. Nestle gets water for three hundred dollars. No, I didn't hear that one. Wow. Oh, right, but they cut the free water off for Flint. But um, you know, it that, that kind of it's not just the kids there. I mean, what do we do about the people about the the fear, the anxiety, like you're afraid to, to drink the water, you don't know what the facts are, you don't know who's lying to you. I mean, that's just sort of like everyone needs to have some sort of uh, of help for that trauma of being poisoned. Right. Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, but the first thing that you have to talk about, like we have to remember with lead, that lead um, will result in um, damaging children's brains. And so that's where you have intellectual differences that come up. And that stuff has a long-term impact because that's not something that goes away. If you damage a child's brain and they cannot cognitively function at a normal baseline level, that stays for the rest of their life. Mm, And these folks realize that. Yeah, Yeah, they do. They They, they can ask, but again, it goes back to mattering. These are negligible communities. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. we don't care if they get bad water. Yep. So before we before we wrap up, we actually I see that we have a caller on the line. If you would like to speak, press one on your phone and we'll put you on the air before we wrap the show. And if not, you can definitely hang out and listen to us um, through the end of the show. Okay. So Dr. Ife, I wanna um I wanna just ask you if there are any other like tidbits of information. I mean, we started off with breathing, and I'm just like, okay, oh, yeah. let me start breathing. <laughs> let me figure out what the breathing thing is. Let me figure out what the breathing technique is. Um, but, we, you know, we started off with that. Are there any other um, techniques that you, you use in, in your practice uh, and any other words of wisdom that you want to leave us with in terms of just coping with our challenges and learning to, you know, really... Um, feel good about ourselves as we move forward with hopefully another only year of this madness. But if not, um, just, you know, taking us, taking us through and really getting us prepared to continue, continue doing the work that we do. I mean, we all do, you know, different types of work, but any other pieces of, of wisdom you want to give us? I would say two things. One, um, I would love for people to figure out their own um, sense of being able to protect themselves from the negativity. One of the things that I am learning more and more about is crystals, and I love rose quartz. I frequently wear it because I know that my heart is lighter when I wear rose quartz because I can get really upset when I think about what is going on in this country and particularly politically in this country. And so something that protects your heart I think is important. And that can be, you know, a crystal, that can be, like, if you have colors or music or other kinds of things that just really uplift you, I think it's important for you to consistently do those things on an everyday basis. Not, Mm -hmm. again, see it as a luxury, but see it as just as important as breathing and eating. And the other thing is to remember what I was saying earlier, that our ancestors survived, our ancestors should thrive despite everything that happened to them. So we descend from people that have done amazing stuff. 
So no matter what is coming to us, we're always going to subscribe. Mm. Mm. I love it. That is a great final word. Yeah. A great final word. Thank you so much, Dr. Ife. I'm so appreciative. We are so appreciative that you um, actually were able to participate. We had invited you previously, and you, it didn't fit with your schedule. So we are very, very pleased that you were able to uh, participate. Again, if you have, if you're a caller on the line and you would like to ask a question, um, please hit one and we will get you online. And uh, Dr. Ife, if you would just tell the audience how they can get in touch with you. And we know you're in Atlanta. Many of our listeners are here in the D.C. metro area, but um, we do send the link around and so just let folks know how they can get in touch with you, how they can get your book, if you would be so kind as to do that. Sure. So there's a couple of things. You can go to my website for our center. It is www.ahealingparadigm.com. So that is ahealingparadigm.com. You can also call us. <laughs> our number is 404 635 6021 again 4046356021 Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. And um I'm going to close us out and give our hostesses for today the uh, opportunity to say any last minute words that they would like to say. Um but I just again want to thank you tremendously for this. Um I think the mental health piece, and I think one of the things that really stands out for me that you said is that our ancestors survived this, and and they did. I mean, we think, you know, we have this new thing where we're talking about first world problems. Yeah. Like the past few days, you know, we Sabrina and I have been talking about just all the little things that we have going on in our lives, how busy we are, and how we have this and we have that, and you know, and I came in talking about, like, you know, the little issues that I have that are just like, okay, these are really, really first, first world, world problems, problems. girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, our ancestors were not dealing with first world problems. No. So <laughs> I just really, really appreciate, I really appreciate you um, <laughs> being a face to say things <laughs> that relate to, okay, look. Get it together, okay? You can you can move on from whatever it is that you go through. We could we could do this. You can you can move on. So I'm gonna pass it to Sabrina and have her say her final. My final word, and as you all know, I am also known as the Cinnamon Cinephile, and my website is www.cinnamoncinephile.com. One of the things I always advise people to do: yes, we have survived. So find that movie, find that thing, find that story that goes back and tells you about the great things that we've done. One of the great movies I just saw was called Mr. Soul, and it was about uh, a PBS TV series that was on in New York back in the day. It's a documentary, and it goes through and it tells the history of all the great performers that came out of uh, the 70s, and it was rejuvenating to watch this. And at the end, you know, the story told the whole story about how the white man took the funding away, but we still have Beyonce, we still have Drake, we still have... Jay, you know, Jay-Z, everybody, I mean, they can't stop it. They, they could not stop it, even though they stopped the funding. They could not stop it. So <laughs> learn your history. All right. Absolutely. Well, thank and you. This is 
Absolutely. Dr. Ife, this is Trina Ramsey, and I want to thank you again for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, I love how when we do these shows, we, you know, we go in with an idea of kind of how it's going to turn out, and it ends up turning out even better. <laughs> and we go down these different paths that are just so perfect, and, and I think the show was very perfect for our time and for our space. And for me, I just want to reiterate that for for people who feel like they are stuck, who feel like they are, that there's too much going on to, uh, once again, connecting to breath, but also realize that you are already enough. You are already whole, just who you are, and it is vital to do what you need to do. If you are having some mental health issues, if you are having some emotional issues, get counseling, get help. Um, it is one of the things that especially um, women of color, we suffer in silence for far too long and sometimes never get the help that we need because we're afraid of what it will look like and we're too busy helping others to actually take care of ourselves. So I just want to really reiterate the importance of doing those things holistically and we've got wonderful, great suggestions from Dr. Ife, but also literally if you need to talk some, to somebody, even if it's a girlfriend, somebody, somebody, don't suffer in silence. And thank you so much for joining us today. So with that, I'm going to close us out and just let uh, everyone know that our next show is Thursday, September 20th. Again, Thursday, September 20th. And our lovely topic, Q will be back, is Art and Activism, Projecting Power Through Protest. So we look forward to uh, seeing you or hearing you then. Again, September 20th, Art and Activism, Projecting Power Through Protest. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful night. Dr. Ife, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank we'll see you. you next week. Okay, take care. <laughs> All, All right. right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.